0: Connect, influence, optimize. You're listening to The Channel Channel, a podcast for executives and others involved in the
1: authorized sale of electronic components. Brought to you by the ECIA, the Electronic Component Industry Association. Working to promote and improve the authorized distribution channel.
0: Welcome to The Channel Channel. I'm Dale Ford, Chief Analyst at ECIA, and responsible for ECIA market research and statistics, and I'm the host for this session of the Channel Channel, a podcast sponsored by the Electronic Components Industry Association, covering topics that are important for participants in the electronic components supply chain. I'm very pleased to welcome back Tom Runowitz, Senior Principal Economist for the IHS Market Industry Service, uh, as a brief uh, uh, note, Tom was mentioning just before we started this podcast that IHS market has been going through a lengthy process of merging with Standard Poor's, S&P. and Pours uh, (S&P), so maybe by the next time we talk, uh, they will be a, a different company under a different name. So just to, to put that out there, if you listen to this podcast later, by the time you listen to this, it may be Standard and Pours something. So. Just as a note, but coming back to Tom, uh, Tom again is a senior principal for the industry service at IHS, and he's responsible for for projections about the US and Canada and the industrial economy, especially areas such as output, prices, revenues, costs, wages, productivity, and profit margins. So he he brings a real focus on an area of importance for our members, which is the, the manufacturing economy, the industrial analysis. So it's a a real opportunity to talk to Tom and get his insights on key economic issues. So welcome back, Tom. Oh, thank you. So I thought we'd begin by discussing, as we've done before, some of the top economic predictions, not all of them, but I've selected some of the top economic predictions for 2022 that were published by IHS market in December. And I guess just to set perhaps the framework here, I'll quote just kind of the the leading paragraph for these predictions, which was that in 2022, businesses will navigate multiple transitions in the global economy. These include the transition from pandemic to endemic COVID-19, the shift from fiscal policy stimulus to restraint, rising interests, and tightening credit conditions, and a bumpy energy transition from hydrocarbons to renewables. And in all of that, there's important issues relevant to members of our uh, Electron's Components uh, supply chain community. So maybe we begin with one of the first things that has been, you know, top issue for everybody for a long time now, which is the prediction here that new waves of COVID will not derail the recovery, as it transitions from pandemic to endemic, the noting that the, well, general lockdowns will be avoided, service activities will be constrained until effective and affordable cures become available and make further restrictions unnecessary. But the economy will not be derailed in 2022, even though the pace of growth will be slowed. Any, any commentary and insight on, on how that might apply more specifically to um, not the service economy, but the uh, manufacturing economy zone? sure
1: sure. yeah well the manufacturing economy has been been moving and it's been moving forward and there's a lot of a momentum already going there's a significant amount of orders that have been placed in through manufacturing in 2021 in fact order numbers were up 21 percent versus what they were you know compared to 20. however shipments and what they produced were only up about 13 percent so still there's a void there of unfilled orders that increased quite a bit it's tremendous backlog within manufacturing particularly on the durable goods side which take longer to produce and manufacture and one of the issues that they have been is is the whole supply chain problem that they've had through 21 and it's really been on a three-prong approach i mean there's been a shortage of, of materials and supplies and parts and people are scrambling around to get those there's been kind of a gridlock in many cases or a traffic jam on the transportation side even though parts may be somewhere that they have trouble getting them on location in the manufacturing process and the third part is the labor shortage what they've been seeing is they've been not being able to hire people they've been increasing numbers but never at the rate that they need to get full productivity full, full production out so what they've been seeing is, is this kind of this slowdown that has occurred throughout 2021, even though demand and orders are very strong. So what we'll be seeing is many of these orders continuing on you know, into 2022, but the, order, but the production numbers trying to fill those orders as we go through, especially in the first half of this year and then continue on into the second half of this year as we start to see increasing orders throughout the group. We'll see a slowdown in the demand, but still positive growth. But we have to catch up from all these tremendous demand that we saw in 2021.
0: Interesting. What she's commented on ties into another prediction about the supply chain challenges, uh, upward pressure on prices. There's there's two key elements in, in another prediction here, one that The logistics bottlenecks will be resolved later in the year as demand for goods moderates and traffic normalizes. So they're expecting that that moderates later in the year. And then also the comment that inflation will sequentially diminish starting in the second half of the year. So what everybody hoped would be a transitionary uh, situation with inflation, we're we're not seeing inflation and this price pressure uh, diminishing until the second half. What do you think that means for the manufacturing community?
1: Well... Manufacturing right now is able to get their price increases because demand is very strong and there's also been a push because of higher costs on their end. So they're able to get these price increases through. As we start to see a slowdown in demand, not a, not a decline, but a slowdown in demand, the pricing pressure is not gonna be as strong. One issue that we have is, is when you look at costs, of course you have to look at material costs versus labor costs. And what we've seen is big growth in in material costs over the past year, labor costs are just starting to improve and increase in many cases for many many manufacturing sectors. The second half of the year, the pressure on the material costs will not be as strong, they'll start to wane, they'll start to slow down a little bit. However, though, you still have this underlying effect, kind of this long-term increase in this wage increase that they're going to be facing in terms of costs so what you'll do is you'll see a slowdown in price pressure but not a real decline kind of a slowdown in growth from what we've seen in many cases six percent plus to maybe five percent to four percent and then slowing down maybe to three percent going into 2023 so what you're seeing is really kind of a a, um, kind of a slowdown overall in the whole component aspect of the wage and the, uh, the material price spiral that we saw and had seen in the past 2021.
0: Okay, interesting. So one of the key areas here, um, they talk, you talk in your predictions about the, com- the composition of growth in the future. So as, as we look at, and one of the predictions about the growth slowing Still says it'll be a uh, above trend pace despite the, the waning fiscal stimulus. But this is the thing that I think is interesting, would be interesting for manufacturers. They say that the composition of growth will shift from final sales towards inventory building Correct. and from purchases of goods to purchases of services. Core inflation will subside towards 2% as price pressures ease with the gradual dissipation of supply chain disruptions. But this, this issue, you know especially for the electronics component space um, where we can't get enough goods (laughs) through the supply chain. Um, How significant do you think this inventory rebuilding and, and I would say perhaps more than just inventory rebuilding, but adjusting business models away from the just in time um, inventory uh, approach that we've taken for so long. How do you see that playing out?
1: Well, that, that, applies a little bit of upward pressure in terms of demand to build those inventories because uh, you've probably heard the term now that inventories for longest time are always just in case Uh, I mean just in time now they're moving into many cases where they say just in case because they were low they have been extremely low and many manufacturers are, 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 are you know are calling for not to happen again, like that what happened in 2021. They want to at least have some reserve just in case to fill the demand further out. So there is a long-term, actually, uh, perspective to build inventories and have an insurance in terms of inventories, not excessive, but have an insurance at least to have a little bit higher level relative to sales than they were previously. And it's gonna take a while for it to build build that up right now because sales are very high and inventories are very low. So really it is a huge difference from where they were before the pandemic versus what what happens now.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, shifting gears a little bit here. One of the areas that we talked about quite extensively last time was uh, ESG and the growing importance that's taken in corporate governance and corporate policies and decision-making. Right. And one of the, the comments, one of the predictions here was the momentum behind ESG issuance will continue to grow, but policy support to accelerate the energy transition will be mixed. And then they say this, a further positive indicator has been an apparent increase in Greenium, the cost savings from using a green bond format, encouraging more borrow- borrowers to accept the upfront and ongoing cost of establishing and maintaining ESG frameworks. So seems like this is something that is especially relevant to our manufacturing community. Well, yeah. any comments about this ESG and these greenium uh, bonds?
1: Well, this is always a long, this is not going to really affect much of the short term. It's not really not going to affect this year, maybe not even 2023, 24, but it is really of a long, the whole ESG perspective is more of a long-term approach. And that's kind of a migration toward that. Uh, What we normally do is our forecast is out 10 years or 11 years in some cases. And this is where we're gonna really see an impact and start to to migrate. But actually, when you look at it, there's just no way that you're gonna be able to make any real short-term adjustments based on whether they're bond issues or whether you're migrating toward any ESG perspective. It's it's a long-term goal that has to have some type of vision that any corporation any manufacturer perspective has in the back of their mind but they're not going to make day-to-day decisions or even budget decisions for this year based on that factor really
0: you know while we're on the energy issue we have a real crisis in place um we've already seen the incredible spike in energy prices and now you know Back in December, this wasn't hard to guess, I guess, geopolitical tensions will continue to escalate, but now we, we've reached the boiling point of the Russia-Ukraine crisis, and a lot of discussion about what that could potentially do to the cost of energy. Um, and so with what's taking place with the geopolitical tensions around the world, what should manufacturers anticipate? How should they try to plan for uh, the continued uh, stress on energy prices and supply? even?
1: That's very difficult to answer, of course, especially when you have something as unpredictable as what's going to happen <laughs> in Europe right now. Yeah. And in fact, if anything, the energy price that you're seeing now. Has a built-in risk, basically automatically, of the situation in Europe. I wouldn't be surprised if things, you know, <sighs> you know, it, it, it's difficult. If if things really calm down, which doesn't look like it, then you would start to see things. I think prices drop. But on the other hand, as soon as there is a, a first sign of any altercation, whether it would be a first shot or something going on, then right away you would start to see a price spike. So, so you think
0: maybe current energy prices have built into them
1: the, the, the concern that already exists about- Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. I'm not an energy expert, but then people always talk about a, a, you know, a war factor or a, a crisis factor that's built in the energy price because the energy markets already know. The, the people that are trading are paying attention to what's going on and they have a risk factor already built in. So they are adjusting their, you know, I was gonna say their predictions and their expectations on the prices based on the situation that may unfold. So there is definitely an energy. We've seen this before with other skirmishes in the Middle East where you've seen energy prices really build up because of tension somewhere else. It's not only a situation of current supply demand, but it's also a rational expectations of what you expect to happen is built in in any type of prices. This is not just true with energy, but any commodity, whether it be agricultural commodities, metals, and so on. There's always an expectation of the future situations of shortages or some type of situation where there would be a crisis or a political activity that could impact it.
0: Okay. Coming back to uh, one of the topics you raised earlier, which is the labor issue. And we're going through a great resignation in our economy. And the statistics seem to show that the manufacturing space has been particularly hard hit uh, by what's taking place with shifts in labor and loss of talent and the shift of talent, I guess you could say. Uh, and challenges of recruiting new talent. So any additional insights on this whole issue with the labor force and what's going on with manufacturing in the U.S.?
1: Manufacturing, labor and manufacturing has really changed over the past, past years. I mean, it's not, it's been growing, but growing slowly over the past year. But when you look at it, the labor is, used to be many years ago used to be what they call basically fairly unskilled or basically just manual labor now because of the increase in productivity we've seen throughout manufacturing and the technical expertise that's needed it's not unskilled in fact it's highly skilled labor in many cases Uh, i've been to plants in the midwest metal manufacturing whether it be forging plants Metal cutting gear plants. And I'm very impressed by the amount of technical skills required. You know, when you have a multi million dollar machine used there to cut metal and you need the specs and the quality control is needed. It is amazing how much skill and labor that you need that has that knowledge. And what we're seeing is a lot of that labor is either retiring or getting old that you see on the shop floor. In many cases, it's not sexy to <laughs> either go to a technical school or go into material science or metallurgy or some type of engineering manufacturing. People want to code, they want to either be on the internet, they want to be in finance, and it's difficult to recruit. And when I speak to a lot of clients that are in manufacturing, Actually, the number one issue they face is hiring skilled quality labor that they can get in the manufacturing process. And in fact, that is over and above even the materials and the transportation issues that, that we have now with the supply chain. And that is something that's going to take a long term educational prospect in terms of regrouping and seeing how do we get this training program going. I mean, like, There's a situation where you're looking at in Germany, or in Europe in many cases, where they have really an internship or a training program and a skilled set to help that manufacturing process. You know, Mm -hmm. with the United States, we just don't have that built in. You know, there's a lot of technical schools, there's uh, community colleges that work with manufacturing, but we don't have that process to train these people, uh, you know, like there's a mm. demand for in the manufacturing side. And that is something that's continually brought up. I've seen that brought up for the past five, six years within our manufacturers, that they just really can't get the skilled labor that they need, or even to the labor that comes in where they can train the people to, 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 in their manufacturing process. It's, it really is, it's, it's a troubling situation that they'll face, and they continue to face, even to the point where they even sometimes steal workers from one another, <laughs> you know, and actually, you'd be very surprised how well the manufacturing, skilled manufacturer are are paid, very well paid. In fact, they want to keep them, they want to keep them satisfied, they want to keep them within their workforce. And it is, is really a, a good opportunity for someone that is looking for a, a non four-year college. You know, not everybody is, or not every goal really should be in, in a four-year college. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of opportunities within technical schools, um, you know, uh, associate degrees that are, tech, that are technically focused on, you know, within community colleges, and even in engineering fields too that are, that are difficult to fill. Uh, it's, it's really is, it's, it's a totally changed environment in our manufacturing uh, situation here.
0: Yeah, that whole issue is an area that uh, we're looking at as an industry association about working to address to support our members, so very significant. Now I'd like to take this a little longer than we normally do on a podcast, but I don't want to ignore some of the activities that have been taking place um, uh, with the government. Uh, First last year we were talking about the CHIPS Act, now we've got the COMPETES Act, uh, these acts being proposed in Congress. Now the COMPETES Act has been criticized for spending too much on non-manufacturing areas and not creating a, a true stimulus and support. You know, we have, you look at the level of investment that's even talked about in those and it's dwarfed by what's taking place in other countries and other regions. You know, Eric Schmidt an article in the Wall Street Journal today, he and a co-author were talking about how investments in 5G technology, the U.S. is totally, the investments are totally inadequate in what's taking place there, so but we have good news, we've got, you know, companies like Intel with their major announcements on a new semiconductor manufacturing campus, I guess I would say more than a facility, a campus in Ohio, and another announcement's being made, but what's your view of the various proposals of potential engagement by the government to support not just manufacturing locally, but more specifically, manufacturing of semiconductors. That's become a key issue that the government's recognized they need to address. Yeah, one of the
1: issues that they have is that a lot of the semiconductors, of course, are manufactured abroad, and they want to domesticate. Because they, they, they look at it as a supply chain vulnerability. Semiconductors basically are involved in all aspects of either, not even in manufacturing services, manufacturing, transportation, everywhere. Okay, the communication and the ability to compute and are necessary for the, you know, for semiconductors is is a necessary item. It's really, it's a food, it's basically it's almost the food that you need for the communication and the analysis chain that you have here. And to have that, sit overseas, and particularly in an environment such as the Asian environment right now, which is, you know, right now it's secure, but there's further down the road, who knows? And What they want to do is be able to bring that domestically and to keep it a little more secure. And that's what Intel is looking for. Of course, you have the Arizona plant, you're looking at Ohio, you're looking at a lot of other areas where you're seeing expansions within not only in, in semiconductors, but also other areas of manufacturing in the United States too. So what you're seeing is, is an investment overall, not only in terms of actual manufacturing, but also the, all the support within manufacturing, the education within manufacturing, okay? All other areas of analysis that you're looking at, where to put these plants, if you're putting them here What's the cost perspective? Maybe just not only the United States, but North America, Canada, and Mexico, kind of really make it more of a domestically or North American continent focused support where the vulnerability elsewhere isn't as strong. So what you're doing is you're seeing kind of a regrouping here of kind of bringing things back a little bit more in the home perspective.
0: Okay. Maybe just a couple of final questions, just a more open-ended. What what do you think are the current key economic indicators and data points that you think are important for U.S. manufacturers, electronics industry, to know about and understand? I mean, what are they? How do you interpret them?
1: Uh, first of all, there's a couple things. Uh, what you want to do is look at costs. Okay, all right. Now also looking at costs, but where your costs are located in terms of vulnerability in terms of allocation and the supply chain. Diversification is the big issue, okay? To have everything based in Asia, to have everything based either in Europe or somewhere else applies a high risk factor. So what you wanna do is be able to kind of diversify more of your supply chain in terms of bringing things in, you know, for manufacturing they always feel a little bit safer when they come home but obviously if you base everything at home that's not diversification you want to be able to expand it be able to adjust accordingly all right and also the issue is is you have to you know political aspects of it especially now when there's a situation in Ukraine there could well be situations and some grumblings with Taiwan and China who knows? You know, what they're trying to do is minimize risk in that respect. And even though you are diversifying, you want to be able to also pay attention to the political aspects of it, because that also impacts your supply chain and impacts what's going on. So what you really need to do is, is focus on making sure you have a nice balance in terms of where your products are coming from, and being able to trans It's not just your supply, but it's also how you transport it and how you look at your final end users, too. So you really want to see a global aspect of it continuing, but not so much in terms of minimizing labor costs. What you want to do is minimize risks, basically, and kind of figure out where, where things are going in terms of both who you're selling to and who you're buying from.
0: So just to wrap up, just kind of very open-ended, specifically to the manufacturing economy in the US, what do you think are the most important changes and trends we'll see this year? Uh, This year,
1: of course, everybody's focused on costs. (laughs) Costs are very high in many cases, uh, especially not only in terms of products, but also now in terms of labor. Uh, Labor rates are starting to increase in many areas. So people are looking at that and manufacturers are looking at that. However, though, we're looking for things to settle down, settle down beyond this year, uh, going into 2023, 2024. Uh, We'll start to see the situation settle down both on the labor and on the structure side. But what people have to understand is that, you know, The whole environment in terms of manufacturing is global, and it's never, never totally a domestic market, it's never totally an international market, and diversification in terms of spreading out where your supply is coming from, and also your end markets, your customers. Diversifying both and kind of spreading that out and kind of minimizing your risk is really what most manufacturers anywhere should be focusing on.
0: Well, thank you so much, Tom, for uh, sharing your time with us today, sharing your analysis and insights, and uh, we'll look forward, hopefully, to a good year this year in our electronics components industry and in the supply chain.
1: And we'll look forward to
0: talking with you again.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you.